Well, I had a hard time deciding on what I wanted to speak on tonight because <laughs> I'm speaking a, a lot lately and going through the series in Romans. Um, what I preached here the last Sunday from Romans 15, um, I think I'm going to use as the whole first part of that chapter for the meeting this weekend, and I, that's our, also our theme for our school this year, so been on my mind a lot um, speaking about that, and then with Brother Matthew um, being baptized here, so um, so the topic I want to speak on, and and here's here's the interesting part about this, I do want to speak on it, I do want us to look at the scriptures, but I'm not coming to you with a whole lot of answers, <laughs> I'm coming to you with a lot of challenges and things that I think we need to think about seriously um, as a church, as individuals. Uh, I know there are some people in the church that have even approached me and, and on this topic and said, you know, how are we to do this? What, what should we be doing about this topic? And the topic is discipleship and how we carry that out as individuals and as a church uh, in the New Testament church. So the, the concept of discipleship is interesting because um, the word discipleship never occurs in the Bible. A lot of people don't realize that. <laughs> the word discipleship is not in the Bible. Now, it does say to make disciples, and the word disciple is in the Bible, but discipleship itself is not really a concept, um, not, not a word that you find in the Bible. However, the concept is very plain and very clearly in there. Uh, but it depends on what we mean when we say discipleship. A lot of people have different views of that and what they think it means. So it could mean um, a pattern. Discipleship could be a pattern of following Jesus and learning from him. That, that You could just simply define it as that. Or it could be more like a verb. Uh, discipleship is coming alongside other people. The activity of helping others be disciples uh, in the sense of learning from Christ and growing in the knowledge of Christ. And that second meaning, helping others, uh, does actually have a, a place in the New Testament. There's a verb uh, in the New Testament Greek, and I'm not going to try to pronounce that for you right now because I didn't cheat and go to the Blue Letter Bible and have it pronounce it for me um, first. But big, long Greek word. And that Greek word means to make disciples. It, it can mean that through the preaching of the gospel, um, that's how people get converted to Christ, from other Christians, uh, from the reading of the word. In Acts 14, 21, it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium. And that, that made disciples is one word in the Greek. It's a verb. Uh, to make disciples, to convert those to belief in Jesus Christ. That's what that word literally means. So it can mean anything from just that to, and I, this would be my definition or more closely to my definition of it, it can also mean the whole process of conversion, baptism, and then teaching the ways of Jesus Christ afterwards which is how it's used, in my opinion, in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. So we all know that text. Let's turn there, though, uh, to Matthew chapter 28. It's, a, it's an extremely important passage. Um, I had a young person ask me some, one time, like, well, 
Why do we hear so much preaching on Matthew 28? Why do we hear so much about the Great Commission? Well, that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> that's why you hear a lot about it. It is uh, Christ's last um, words and challenge and the foundation for the New Testament church. It's, it's a really important passage of Scripture. And our understanding of it not only has to do with evangelism, which I think naturally our minds, when we hear the Great Commission, our minds naturally go to evangelism. But I think what a lot of people don't understand is our understanding of that text and who it's to and what it's telling us to do is really the foundation for the New Testament church. It's not just about evangelism. It's about what we believe about the New Testament church as well. We'll start in verse 18. And Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world or the end of the age. Amen. Now I'll start before we dive into that with just a couple of basics. Number one, there's some people who teach that this commission was given to the apostles and fulfilled by the apostles and therefore it has no bearing on the New Testament church today. And that's wrong. I'm not going to spend a lot of time proving that tonight. That's not, my, that's not why I'm here. But I will just tell you I don't believe that. Um, I don't believe that the Great Commission has been fulfilled. I believe that's active and that we should be going about that work today in the New Testament church. So go ye therefore and teach all nations. Um, that means not only do we teach here, but we go out with the gospel, and that can be in a lot of different ways. Um, that is not just by supporting evangelists as they go and do their work. I think that's an important aspect of it, but it's not the whole. It's also every day when you go to work, and it's every time when you go to the grocery store and when you go other places. We're to be going out with the message of the gospel in our daily lives. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So we just had a baptism. And if you saw that baptism, this is really important. <laughs> you know, they both went down in the water and what was said at the end, right? right you, there's usually a prayer. And then we all know what's said right after that. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. That's just not coincidence. It's not just that we think that's a nice thing to say. Jesus said you baptize them in this way. And the reason that's important some of you, especially who live in this community, um, you're around people on a daily basis. If you go to Walnut or Klebiot, you're around a bunch of them. There's people in this community that don't believe that. They will not baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. They will only baptize in the name of Jesus. Uh, it's called a oneness doctrine. They believe that God is one God and he has expressed himself in different ways, but they don't believe in the Trinity. So when they baptize, they baptize in the name of Jesus. And so you need to have an understanding that there's a reason why that we, and that's a, that, I would say the Trinity is a pretty important doctrine, isn't it? And that's a part of baptism. Uh, when we baptize, we're, we're saying that we are baptizing this person in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. The Trinity is represented in that, and that's an important thing. That's a foundational doctrine uh, in the Trinity. So we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I think many times... That's kind of where it stops in our minds. So we, our, our mission is done. We have gone out with the gospel. Someone has responded to that gospel 
and they have said, I express faith in Jesus Christ, and I want to be baptized. And we baptize them, and everything's great. And now they're a member of the church, and we all move on. But that's really not where it ends. So discipleship, when I said my definition would be similar to this, the whole process of conversion, baptism, and teaching the ways of Jesus, as is mentioned in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, it goes on into verse 20. There's not a period at the end of 19. It says, Also, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but I'm going to go ahead and kind of set the stage. That's a very long process, okay? So conversion is, a, is an event. When, when you are converted to the faith, there's a moment when you come to faith in Christ. So that's a moment. Your baptism is a moment. So for Brother Matthew, there was a moment sometime during our meeting when the Lord impressed upon him that he was a sinner and that he wanted to come to Christ. And he let that be known, and the church recognized that in him. And so we baptized. Then we had a baptism, and that happened in a moment. He came forward. He was baptized. But now, from now until the end of his life, that's a really long period of time, I hope, right? So from that is going to be the teaching all things. There's a lot of work to be done. And, and here's the really interesting part about that. For those of us who have been in the faith a very long time, that work is still ongoing. For those who are elderly and in the end of their life, that work is still ongoing. So we are being taught and teaching and being conformed more to the image of Christ even into our older age. So that last part is a very long process. It's a lifetime process. Um, so converted, baptism, and then spend a lifetime teaching them to obey all that Jesus has said. And so that's what the verb disciple, when it says that, means to me. But this is what I said. I was going to say something, and then we'll kind of unpack it as we go through. But I'm going to get the, the kind of the tough part over with from the beginning. I'm just going to be honest about it and say that I don't feel like our churches do a really, really good job of that. And here's what I mean by that. I think we preach the truth, and I think when we're in the pulpit, we speak the truth, and that's about it. I mean, that's about it. Um, we, there are not a lot, and I'm not saying we should come up with 100 different programs, and churches are not about programs, but speaking the truth is important out of the pulpit, but it's also important to get into the lives of other people and disciple them in a real way. So when one person from our church came to me and said, look, how, how, do we, how do we get to this place? How do we experience this in the church? That's a really good question. <laughs> and, and I think it's something that we need to think about. And so as we go through, I'm going to unpack that a little bit. But if all we ever do is come to this place once or twice a week and hear the preaching of the gospel from this pulpit, that, that is not, I believe, personally, I don't believe that is not fulfilling that commandment to, to teach them to observe all things. I think there's a lot more to it than that. And I think the Bible tells us that plainly, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But before we get to that, I want to go through a couple of things that discipleship doesn't mean. Um, so we'll do the negative part first. So this is not among our people, I don't think at all, but there are, there, this has become really popular in, in a lot of Christianity, especially in America. So when they use the word disciple, it's almost like a stage two super Christian. So when you first become a believer, you're just a believer. 
But then when you really start to get to know things and you really kind of move up in the faith, now you're a disciple. And so there's this thing that you're reaching for, which is discipleship, that you're not, you're not a disciple as a believer. So I'm going to go ahead and say right off the bat, I don't believe that. You know, if you are a Christian, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you're a disciple. Now, if you were just baptized, if we were to get Brother Matthew up in front of the church and, and we were to quiz him on the doctrine of superlapsinarianism tonight, he would look at you like you're crazy. I, I imagine most people in this church would probably say, what in the world is that? And honestly, I don't know that it would do you any good if you did know. <laughs> just saying the truth. Probably, probably not anything that you're going to have to worry about a whole lot, okay? But, but if you were to say, Matthew, what do, you, what do you think about Jesus? Do you think Jesus died for your sins? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so there's basics that he understands, but there's a lot of, of unpacking and other things that we can get to that he wouldn't understand. That does not mean he's not a disciple. Uh, it doesn't mean that he's any less than anybody else in here. He is a Christian. He is a believer. And so you may notice a lot in, in my messages, I try to use the word believer a lot rather than elect or others. It's not that those words are wrong. It's okay to say the elect. It's perfectly fine. But I choose to use the word believer. They're a believer because a believer is a Christian and a Christian is the elect. And all of those things are, are synonymous, but it's just, it's just the way I choose uh, to speak most of the time to get that, that message across. So there, are no, there is no stage level that you get to of discipleship. Uh, then on the other kind of ditch from that, there's also what I would believe and I would call a heresy, uh, even among primitive Baptist churches, that teaches that there's a separation um, from between discipleship and sonship. So they're teaching that there's a distinction between being a son or a child of God and between being a disciple. And, and basically what they're teaching is this. You can be a son or, a, or a, a son or a child of God and not be a disciple, not a follower of Christ. So you're elect and you're one of God's children and you're going to end up in heaven but you never become or know anything about being a follower of Jesus Christ. There's no belief in Christ. There's no following Christ. There's none of that. So you are born again. You are regenerated, but there's never conversion. You are never converted to the truth. So the Holy Spirit lives in you, but it's never, never outworked into your life. So I'm going to say also that is, and I told you, I think that's heresy. I think it, it goes beyond just an error. It's a heresy, uh, and they're teaching that there's a distinction between being a son and being a disciple. Now, that idea was probably most clearly laid out in a book titled Sonship to Discipleship. Uh, and that idea has that some of the elect will be born again and never follow Christ was, was really kind of, I think, the language was codified later in this century. But that idea really first started becoming popular around the turn of the last century. So around 1900 is when that really kind of started to get some traction. But I want you to know this. Our people did not believe that before then. Um, we can go to our confessions. We can go to letters. We can go to associational minutes. We can go to a lot of things to show that for those who claim that is the traditional primitive Baptist view, that's wrong too. Uh, you know, we, uh, our people did not believe that. So because of that core belief, this is what they do. They take a grid and they place it over the scriptures. And anytime we do that, and y'all, we can be guilty of that too, by the way. Um, we take our beliefs that we believe are right, and then we try to place those over the scriptures and interpret the scriptures that way. That's not how we're to interpret scripture. 
We're to interpret scripture by reading the text and letting the text inform us of what the text says. But I, I believe they, they place a grid over the scriptures and they determine whether a passage is talking about time salvation or eternal salvation. And in most cases, about, I'd say, 80% to 90% of the passages become time salvation passages. They become not talking about eternal life at all. And I don't think that's true. I think the Bible has a lot to say about eternal salvation. And most of those passages are about eternal salvation. So I do, just, just for the record, I believe in the conversion of the elect and that all sons are disciples. All sons are disciples. So that being the, that's two kind of different ways of looking at discipleship that I believe are wrong. So what is a disciple and how do we make disciples? How does that happen? That's, that's kind of the big question for the night. Now, it's, I think people are concerned about this for, for good reason. It's because the world itself is getting darker and darker and darker. I used to hesitate to say that because I think every generation says that. I, I just think now we, we, we can no longer not say that. I think we would be wrong not to, out of the pulpit, say the world is getting darker and darker and darker. Sexual immorality, um, just the view of the Bible, the view of who God is, the rejection of any kind of religion whatsoever, secularism, relativism, all those things are at peaks that really we've never, we've never seen before, really, in the history of the world. So it's getting darker and darker, and I think that's why now you see Christians in reaction to that saying discipleship's really important. You know, we really need to be focused on discipleship and on coming together and learning from one another and discipling one another in the faith. So how does that happen? Well, the conversion of people from unbelievers to believers to be Christian disciples, that should be happening in any and every situation. So if you're expecting me to say, okay, well, here's how discipleship looks like. It's when you do this. That, that's impossible. Okay, so discipleship happens when you're at work and a conversation comes up and you're able to say, well, this is what I believe that the Bible teaches. And this is, what I, this is why I believe in Jesus. And, and then you share your faith with others. That can happen in a multitude of situations. So there is no magic pill. There is no secret strategy. And there's no limit to, a ways, to the ways that a person can be told the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is, in essence, what discipleship is really all about because it can be, if you're talking about sharing the gospel and sharing the good news with other people, that can be in a couple of contexts. If you're talking to an unbeliever, then that's you witnessing the truth to them and hopefully your, your hope in that is that they are converted to the truth. So that's conversion. If you're talking to someone who's already a Christian, then that would be coming alongside them in a way of exhortation to bring them into a closer understanding of who Jesus is and what the Bible teaches and all that. That's, that is also discipleship. So as far as training Christians how to think and feel and act as a Christian, that is discipling in the sense of growing them more in maturity, that also happens in a, just a variety of, variety of ways in the New Testament. So here's just a few. And you don't have to turn with these with me. We're just going to go really quick and kind of summarize them because you're really probably familiar with all these passages. Titus 2.4. Am I familiar with that passage? Older women are to train the younger women. They're to teach the younger women. That's discipleship. That's a big part of discipleship. So older women who've been down the road farther and they're more mature in the faith, they're to share their wisdom and knowledge in the scriptures with younger women women 
All right, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, Paul trained Timothy to train others to train others. Remember, we, we went through that passage not too long ago in this church. I preached through that, that book, and we talked about generational, this generational truth that we're hoping to get to. That's four generations in one verse. Paul trained Timothy who trained others so that they could train others. Isn't that amazing? Like in one verse, four generations of discipleship. In Ephesians 6, 4, fathers are to train their children. They're to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the responsibility of parents, primarily fathers, but parents. That's discipleship. Matthew 28, 20, we just read. That's pretty wide open. So uh, that's, that's everybody's job. Hebrews 3, 13, all Christians are to exhort each other every day to avoid sin and stir one another up to love and to good works. That's discipleship. That's Christian with Christian. That can be within the church or just other Christians that you know. 1 Peter 4, uh, verse 10, all Christians are to use their gifts to serve others. And then this one's real interesting, Acts 18. In Acts 18, Priscilla and Aquila, who was it that they pulled aside and discipled? That's kind of interesting, isn't it? The mighty, the mighty Apollos. They pulled him aside and taught him a more perfect way, a better way. Um, that's discipleship. So every Christian... Here's, some, here's just some blanket statements. Every Christian should be helping unbelievers become believers by showing them Christ. So we should be sharing the gospel. So if, if you're around unbelievers, then as a Christian, part of your life should be sharing with unbelievers the truth of the gospel about Jesus Christ. That, that's, that one's real simple. That is making a disciple. That, that fits that verb that we talked about in the beginning. And then secondly, every Christian should be helping other believers grow more and more in maturity. Guess what? That is also making a disciple. It is the continuance of that work. That's making a disciple. Every Christian should also be seeking for themselves to grow by relationships with other Christians. In other words, you should be meeting people halfway in this, right? Isn't that, isn't that pretty interesting? So not only should you be seeking to disciple others, you should be seeking for yourself opportunities to be discipled by others. I think that's kind of putting the shoe on the other foot. And then this is the one that kind of that really hurts when I think about it a little bit. Every church should think through and understand how the hows and whys and the kinds of biblical disciple making expressions that will be in their corporate life. So in other words, we should think through as a church how are we going to accomplish this? How are we going to make opportunities for our members to be discipled more in the faith? Now, when I, when I expressed some, you know, that we don't do this very well in the beginning, I didn't mean we don't do it at all, okay? There, there are ways that we do that, and I, and I think those things are good. I just think it's an area that we could probably improve on and get better. And so I'll even say at the end some of the ways that I think we are doing that. But by... By discipling others, it's not just evangelism and conversion. It is disciple-making that goes further than that and continues to come alongside. And the reason that's on my mind so much, I think, is obvious because I've mentioned it so many times. And it's going to be difficult with, with our new member because he's not going to be here every single time. He's going to be here some. But we all as a church need to understand it's not just the elders. It's not just his parents if he is a member of this church then we are going to say that we want to help disciple him and bring him along in the faith 
And I'm picking on him a lot because he's the new guy. We got, we got Zayden is a part of this church. Y'all know Zayden's a member of the church? He's a baptized believer. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. And I think that's 100% real in that young man's life. I don't think he was too young when he made that profession. Sydney had to beg me for a year and a half to baptize her. But because I was just, I just don't know. She's so young, you know, and she just was consistent with it. Well, I, I, I really feel like now that was real to her. Um, and so all of the young people in our church, not just him. And guess what? It's not just the young people. What about the young married couples? What about the young singles in our church? What about those who are in college? Do you think they need discipleship? They sure do. Probably more than any other time in their life. When you're in college, it depends on where you go to college, but you're probably getting challenged pretty consistently uh, when you're in that, that, that arena. So we've already mentioned the Great Commission. One of the other passages that I just really quickly mentioned just a minute ago um, is 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. I'm about to run out of time. But you understand the generational part there. But it doesn't always work that way. So I wanted to kind of come back to that to tell you where was when Paul trained Timothy, how old was Timothy? When he wrote this letter to Timothy, how old was Timothy? Timothy was a younger man, right? So it can sometimes be that a younger person is discipling someone in age who's older than them. That's possible. So I think we get hung up on that too, just because it says older women train the younger women, you know, adults train the, the young ones, parents with their children. But in that case, he told Timothy, you need to be you need to be a teacher. You need to be someone who is discipling other men, especially those, and I think in that context, it's especially talking about in the ministry so that they can then continue to minister to others. Really important, really important passage. You must hold firm the word as they are taught. So disciple-making in the local church, um, the reason I wanted to bring that passage out is because I do believe that disciple-making in the church begins with the elders. And the elders are to lead in that. So when I said, hey, we, we I don't want you to think that Brother Andy said, well, it's not a big deal that we come listen to the preaching. That's not enough. That's not what I meant. It's a really important thing. And we're to lead in that. And the elders are to teach. And, and it's expressly stated in the qualifications for a pastoral office in the local church is that you be apt to teach. And even, I think, worded even better in Titus, skillful in teaching, Titus 1.9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, um, that word um, skillful to teach. So I think we're to lead in that. But I think there's also a misconception in the New Testament church in a lot of places now that the pastors do all the teaching. And, and that's, we do all, I do believe that pastors do authoritative teaching, and, but I don't believe that's all the teaching that should ever happen in the church at all. Um, there, are, there are ways that this discipleship can go forward with the leadership of the elders in the church, but the elders lead in that. So it's uh, what, what we say when we talk about disciple-making is not formal teaching necessarily. It's personal attention and guidance from one spiritual person to another, from one believer to another, and sometimes from one generation to the next. So... I think I've shared this with you before. I just think it's really good. It's a, it's a good way to kind of encapsulate this, so I'll share this in closing. It's three kind of big points about discipleship and making disciples. And what it is is content, intent, and context. So content, the intent, why we're doing it, and then the context, how does it happen? Well, the context is the Word of God. It is the gospel. It is 
You know, the gospel is the word of God. So it's the good news. If you're talking to an unbeliever, what you're sharing with them is the gospel. And I would encourage you to make that simple. Make it the simplicity of the gospel. Um, You know, so many times I think we try to proselytize before we make disciples. (laughs) We try to... We try to make them prune to Baptist before we make them a believer. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? So if you're leading off conversations with unbelievers and talking about, you know, the five points of Calvinism, then, you know, I don't know that that's really, really probably the place to start. How about do you understand that you're a sinner? How about do you understand that man has fallen short of the glory of God? How about that because of that, Christ had to come to this earth and condescend, and he had to live a perfect and sinless life so that you would have a righteousness? And he had to take your sin and nail it to his cross so that you would not have guilt before God. And then, and then explain that. Now, do those doctrines come into that? Absolutely they do. And I think they're intertwined all in that message. But the simplicity of the gospel is the content. And I think that's with unbelievers. Now, with believers, that is where it shifts gears a little bit. When somebody's a believer and you begin to disciple them, then you begin to get more into the truths of God's word and what it means. And you get deeper and deeper and deeper as they mature in the faith. So our content is the gospel and the word of God. The intent, the intent is multiplication. Y'all heard me say this in, when we talked about Timothy. It's not addition, it's multiplication. And here's what we mean by that. Your intent is not to have your little students and teach them and keep them all to yourself and have your little flock of people. It's to teach others so they can teach others so that they can teach others. It's multiplication. So when we disciple others, the goal is to make them able to disciple others so that then that's how the church grows. So the intent is multiplication, not just addition. It's also not just about numbers. It's also about the personal spiritual health of each individual. So if you have a church and more than half your church are spiritual babies. That's how Paul would have said it. He said, man, these people are still, they still need the milk. They can't handle the meat. Then that means we're not doing our job. Uh, We're not growing people into mature Christians. So it's not just about numbers. Also, it's about multiplication of spiritual maturity. And then last, the context. And And this is the one that I think is so difficult. I mean, I think our church understands those first two ones, and I think we do really well on both of those things. The context is the difficult part. So the context is relationship. It is personal. It is time-consuming. It is life-on-life discipleship. I love that terminology. I love that terminology. It is life-on-life discipleship. So what that means is you have to kind of get in the weeds with other people. That's not fun. (laughs) That's difficult. It's very difficult. And sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's... You know, sometimes you get together with people and it's just wonderful and you share the word of God and and everybody's happy and they're learning from you and you're learning from them and and everything's great. And then other times it means that you have to take some hard stands with people that you have relationships with. And you have to say, you know what, brother, I I don't think that's right. I think this in your life is bad for you. Nobody likes that conversation. But life on life discipleship will bring you to those places. So it's difficult. It's not easy. Uh, It's not just about books and sermons and conferences and articles and sharing things on Facebook. It's about really getting down in the weeds with each other in life and that we're doing life together and learning from one another what it means to be a Christian. So the context is relationship. 
And I guess what I'm admitting is that that is extremely, that's extremely difficult. So then as we begin to talk about that, okay, so, so where are we right now? What are some examples of the way that we do discipleship here? Well, you know, we, we do have times of fellowship where, you know, we're able to sit in there and talk to one another and hear about one another's lives. I think our church is small enough that we do hear a lot about what goes on with each other, so we know a lot about what, I think that's a good thing. Um, I thought about the women's book study. That's a great example of an opportunity for women to, to, to get together um, and, and learn from one another. I, I think um, Wednesday night coming here, being more informal, I know we've done some different topics on Wednesday night. We probably wouldn't preach on CRT on a Sunday morning, right? <laughs> probably not something we would do out of the pulpit. But that's a, that's a very good way to disciple, is to take those things that you're going to hear out in the world and say, hey, this is what we believe the Bible teaches about this. That, that's really important. So I think we, we're doing some things. And it's difficult when you have a church where people are coming from a lot of different areas. I think that, that complicates. That makes it a little more difficult. But I guess my challenge would be for us all to think together, not, not for me to give you all the answers or Brother Nathan to come up with all the solutions or you know, anybody else for that matter, but that we would all think about, and a collective responsibility as a church, how that we can improve on discipling the believers here in this place. And not only that, but hopefully, hopefully then disciple others that we come into contact with. Because if you want to know how the church grows, that's it. Unless we want to just baptize the people that are left that we haven't been baptized yet. We're running out, y'all. I mean, we don't have a whole lot left. So if you want the church to grow, it's going to be because we disciple, because we go out and make disciples. So may God grant us the wisdom in the carrying out of that great task. Give us opportunities to do that. You know that we pray for that a lot here. We pray for opportunities to share the gospel. I think that's a good thing, too. So may God grant us those opportunities, and may we take full advantage of them.